Core. Core. You are listening to Core, a show on Code Zero Radio that plays bands located in the Fox Cities. The show to find and discover new music. Hosted by Andy McNamara. Amos Pitch, he's been a part of the Fox City's music scene for decades, from the humble beginnings of his first band, the Wolf Brothers, to bands like Tenement, Car City, and Dusk. Amos also runs Crutch of Memory right here in Appleton. He recently released a solo album called Acid Rain. You can get it on vinyl. I'd like to welcome Amos Pitch to Fox City's Core. How are you doing, Amos? I'm pretty good. <laughs> Thanks for coming over in the morning. Are you a, are you a morning person or... Yeah, I usually get around six or so, so this ain't too bad. I had to get pre- I had to pre coffee this coffee, so but I'm feeling pretty good now. You've been doing uh, press for Acid Rain. It's a, a really, really good album. Thanks. And we'll get more into it later. But it recently came out on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Has has the reception to the vinyl been going pretty good so far? Yeah, I mean it's you know we we only pressed 200 copies, so. We figured it would sell out then, you know, and that's what we're aiming to do. And I think it's going pretty good. So let's uh, start from the beginning. You've been a part of this music scene for quite a while. You grew up in Nina? Grew up between Nina and Winchester, which is, uh, you know, just west of Nina, kind of out in the country. It's like a little unincorporated village. Um, yeah. What What is like as far as the music, how did you get sucked into music? Um, I guess you know, in I I kind of think as far as like getting really getting serious about music. Um, when we were in high school, we would play at this this cafe in Nina called the Blue Moon Cafe. Did you ever play there? Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, and it was when it was on it was on the corner of like um. I don't remember the cross street, but it was on, on Taco or, or commercial or whatever. It's this little cafe. Uh had big windows that faced traffic. Um anyways, this band from Milwaukee called the Modern Machines played there once and it just blew my mind wide open, you know. It didn't it sounded unlike anything that would happen around here. It was just so like <clears throat> just so it was great songs and like aggressive and and just like it had this energy that sounded like someone that lived in nina couldn't have made this and i just needed to know more and so i would you know i went back to high school or went back to class was sneaking on the computers during class and finding out everything i could about this band and you know eventually struck up a friendship with them even though they were much older than me and they started setting up shows for my high school band in Milwaukee, we we played the Robot House, which was a punk house in River West, probably in 2004, 2005. And uh, it just went from there, you know. It just kind of dominoes from there. So, Do you find a lot of, of bands currently are coming to you as sort of, you know, they're seeing your bands and wanting, <clears throat> you know, some mentor? And then are you, like, comfortable taking on, like somebody like that under your wing do you find yourself trying to sort of incubate any up-and-coming artists um i you know i don't think a lot of bands come to me i don't know you know i 
<laughs> I don't know if I'm intimidating or what, but I, don't, I feel like I don't like, you know, I don't really like foster many young bands, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then you've got the, the record, the record label. Right. What got you kind of wanting to start your own label? Well, it was kind of like, uh, we were doing a lot of touring for a lot of years and which is, it's fine, but, um, it really, uh, your body takes a beating, your mind takes a beating. It's it's a really kind of a rough time to do that all the time, especially when you're touring like we were, you know, where it's like we'd be out for a few months at a time, you know, and like sleeping on floors and, and you know, cutting corners financially wherever we could and not really having a lot of, um, you know, not having a lot of leisure leisure time and whatever um it just got really tiring and so i really wanted to do something where it kept me creatively active but like it was less of a thing where i had to always go on the road and whatever you know i wanted to make records i always loved making records and uh you know the the label is kind of structured so we can be very heavily involved in in the creative process, kind of like, you know, Motown was or whatever, where they had, you know, they were, they had their own songwriters in-house and they were doing their own design work and stuff like that. I like, you know, being involved, being involved in all of that stuff. It really like gets my brain working in the way I want it to. And sitting in a van driving through, you know, Driving like 15 hours through Montana and North Dakota does not get my brain working. It kind of pisses me off. <laughs> and you, you've done quite a fair share of touring. You've you know, gone overseas and all that. Um, what's the worst thing about touring, in your opinion? Is it sleeping on the floors or is it just the grind of getting <clears throat> to the next show? I think it's the truck stops and, and um, being on the interstates sitting in a van looking at the sh- like shitty interstate like the whole like capitalism from the view of a van when you're traveling it's like the grossest most disgusting thing i hate it and it just makes me so depressed and uh you spend 90% of your time on tour in that with that perspective and looking you know looking through a window at all this garbage that we've created as humans and it's it just makes me sad man i just want to wake up in my in my bed in the morning and like do something that makes me feel good about why i'm here you know let's uh let's go way back do you remember the first time you heard a song that besides being at the the new moon, the blue moon. The <laughs> song that just pulled you in when you were a kid. When I was a kid. Um, I don't know what the first time was, but when I was a kid, I had a little, I had one of those little Fisher Price plastic record players, and uh, I would get records from garage sales. I remember having Leonard Skinner's Second Helping. I wore that thing out. Uh, Ozark Mountain Daredevils, the one that it's like a Patrick Quilt. I, listen to that record all the time i remember probably one of the first songs i ever learned to play was the song standing on the rock from that album i had a black sabbath's first album and uh 
also had this uh, cassette compilation that I don't know which one of my parents got it for me, but it was like just all kinds of old songs from the 50s, maybe, maybe 60s. And, and I was really drawn to the Chuck Berry songs on there. And, you know, that there's something about the way he plays guitar and the way he, he sings, the way he kind of barks things out in like a really soulful way that struck me even as like a little kid not really understanding what he was doing but like feeling something from it that i think informed even what i do today like the way i think of music today you know that that little you know infomercial cassette you know well you you play multiple instruments what was the the first instrument that you gravitated towards i started on drums and I can't remember why. Like when I was a little kid, um, I had this this band with a couple of my cousins called the Wolf Brothers, and we stole our name from the Hootie and the Blowfish. It was their their first uh, band name. Uh, did you know that? I, I think I heard that. <laughs> okay, but I did not. You know, I forgot that. Yeah, I mean, that, it, around the time we started that band was when that huge Hootie and the Blowfish record came out you know so we were little kids listening to that probably i don't know i don't remember much about that but um so you were so, yeah. a big hootie fan at the time yeah probably <laughs> uh we we uh, called our band hootie and, uh, no we didn't call it hootie and the blowfish we called it the wolf brothers and uh and you know there i i'm sure there was an argument over like who got to play what instrument we probably all wanted to play the electric guitar and uh Maybe we all wanted to play drums, too. Honestly, I don't know. I remember there being a dispute over who would play what. <laughs> and one of my cousins got stuck with the trombone. And I got the drums. So I started playing drums. And, uh, yeah, I went from there. My, my uncle gave me a, a drum set out of his attic. It was, or He sold it to me for five bucks. And I still use it to this day. I use the kick drum to this day, you know, whenever Dusk plays or anything. It's my favorite drum. It's like just this orange, sparkly... 60s japanese kick drum five bucks five bucks the whole kit <laughs> yeah so after the wolf brothers disbanded uh, <laughs> yeah maybe like uh just you know moved on to different things what did you do after that so i start i started a punk band in in uh, high school called the waffles and uh so you were in you're in a like classic rock and then you moved over to punk yeah i mean yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, my mom, like, you know, she was really into classic rock when I was a kid. So I was like learning from her CD collection and listening to Aerosmith, listening to the band, listening to Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And then, <clears throat> and my dad was really into country. And so I was, you know, listening to his Garth Brooks cassettes and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and uh, so all of that was kind of percolating. But then you know when you're a teenager, you get into punk music. Uh, my brother, my brother who's uh, 11 years older than me, he got me into the Descendants uh, when I was just you know, early teenager, and that was some really weird ass music when I first heard it. I didn't know what to think of it because you know they uh, Stephen Egerton, he's like he plays the he plays those power chords, but he plays them up on the higher strings, and it's really confusing when you've never heard a guitar played like that before. It's like, what is he doing with this guitar? You know, it took a really long time for me to really just accept it and feel like this is something I really like, 
you know, for a, for a good long while, I was like, this is just really weird music. But now I listen to it and I'm like, this is really accessible, like beautiful pop music, you know? So yeah, I got, I got into punk, you know, probably when I was like 12 or something and started my first punk band, the waffles. And, uh, we didn't really make it out of the basement. <laughs> no shows. No performances? Ah, not that I remember. I don't know. Like, maybe for maybe for my mom and her friends or something, like, in, her, in our basement. I mean, maybe we played, we might have played some random, like, high school shows. I think we tried to, like, play the, the talent show at our high school once and got denied. I don't know. I've got to ask, what's your favorite Descendants song? Oh, man. How do you answer that question? They have so many songs. You could say all of them, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just like when I think of my favorite Descendants song, it's like all their eras are so great. And, uh, I mean, I have a Milo Goes to College tattoo on my arm. And so I'm like thinking about that record. I'm like thinking of all the songs. I'm like, I love that song, Catalina. I love like, you know, I'm a loser and all that stuff. But then it's like, you think of like when they came back and yeah, I mean, the eighties were great too. They had all those iconic songs and then you think of when they came back in the 90s and they made, like, maybe the best album of the 90s, Everything Sucks, which yeah. is just incredible. It's a perfect album. And then they came back, like, in the 2000s again when I was in high school and did that, did that album, uh, Cool to Be You, which is another just pop masterpiece. And uh, then they put out that album a few years ago, which is also f- so good. And it has a, one of the singles they put out first. It might be my favorite Descendants song at this point. Uh, it's the really poppy one. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's on uh, their last album. I'm surprised uh, Siri didn't pick that one up and start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, while we're on the topic of the Descendants, have you ever considered with Tenement or Dusk or any of the projects you're in, like driving out to? Um, you know, Colorado and recording at the Blasting Room or doing something like that. Oh, yeah. You know, where but... you're at, you know, a place that's that's run by those guys. Has that ever kind of come into the, the talk at all? It's never come into the talk, no, because I think we've always done most things ourselves, down to recording, down to, like, everything. We've done everything ourselves, booking and and artwork and everything, but... It's definitely something I've thought about, like how I always wanted to record with Bill Stevenson. You know, he's like one of my heroes. Um, <clears throat> got a chance to open for all one time. I was drumming for Chinese Telephones, and we were, after Chinese Telephones played, my drums were off to the side. And uh, Eric from Tenement and I were standing on the side of the stage and just like waiting, just watching Bill Stevenson's drum set, you know. Just like in anticipation, like, oh my God, we're about to watch Bill Stevenson from like, 10 feet away and all of a sudden i hear this noise behind us eric and i look back and bill stevenson is warming up on my drums (laughs) and i just felt like i had to be dreaming you know like one probably one of my biggest heroes of all time is playing my drums you know it was crazy (laughs) i guess those guys kind of did you know something similar too you know they they did open their own studio and that's true started recording they're kind of like you know, a crutch of, of sound here mm-hmm. in Appleton. That's, that's it's interesting. It, so, Bill Stevenson would be one of your top kind of musicians that 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Hearing him play drums for the, f- you know, on those. F- I think my brother got me a, a copy of the Descendants summer, summary, summary, yeah, summary. It's great, great yeah. Album. It's a great collection of like everything that they did that was good, basically, <laughs> you know, and his drumming is just so mechanical, you know, it just blew my mind. Like, and the first time I ever saw him play was in this band called The Last, and they did this secret show in Florida at this little bar, and I was probably four feet away from him, and standing there watching him do his thing in real life was just like, it was like religious. It it was just insane. Like, it just gave me this feeling inside, <laughs> like I felt like I could levitate, you know? It was just, it was crazy. I don't know. He barely moves his arms. He's he's the loudest drummer I've ever seen, but it's all in the wrist. It's all just this. He's doing this the whole time, you know? And it's just, it's incredible. Were you going to a lot of shows growing up, like up at the Concert Cafe or down to Shank Hall or the Rave or any of those? I was too young. When Concert Cafe was a thing, I remember being in high school and a lot of the older punk kids in high school would go there, but I was way not cool enough to like even ask for any ask anyone for a ride to concert cafe so i never made it there and i'd always hear these shows like the groovy ghoulies and the donnas and stuff like that and they were all these bands were like my favorite bands at the time because i remember i think there was a sam goody in the mall or something i bought all those lookout lookout freakout comps there and just worshipped those bands like the groovy ghoulies the mr t experience the donnas like and all these bands are playing at concert cafe and I'm seeing these flyers and like, I'm a little kid. I can't, I can't hitch a ride with these older guys, you know, like they don't care about me. Yeah. So I never got to see any of that stuff. Um, and you know, my, the shows that I ended up like really participating in then were like a lot of what was going around here, um, in the hardcore punk scene that was kind of spearheaded by, people like Troy Hackbarth by uh, he and, and Brian Street they had the PTC off of college um you ever go there I did not okay uh yeah it was, it, I drive by there all the time it was like this white house right off of college I think it was on Franklin Street or something um and uh the guys in choose your poison uh who had the poison estate just down the road here um and so I was going to a lot of these basement shows, and that's kind of like what informed punk to me and what kind of led to me starting a punk house that lasted for a decade or more. You know? That was the, the BFG. Did you start that after Tenement was formed? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it started after. <clears throat> um, it kind of became a big part of how Tenement was able to meet people and go on tour. Uh, a lot of a lot of people were like getting a hold of us from all over the place to book shows there. We were having shows every day of the week for a long time. Um and just trashing that house. <laughs> and that was where uh, Tom's drive through is where the parking lot is for Tom's drive through. Uh no, it's next door. It's like on the other there's a fence there I think and then there's like a grassy lot next to the to the parking lot and that's where our house was yeah and now it's just it's just an empty lot now it's pretty weird <laughs> well in uh crutch of memory is not too far away from there 
It was that when you, yeah, when we moved into the uh, crutch of memory, uh, I remember I could look out the kitchen window and see the BFG. And then one day it was just gone. <laughs> so you had no warning that it was going to become. No, done. I think, uh, Colin, Colin, uh, messaged me a video of it just getting ripped down one day when I was at work. So there it goes. You can see my you can see my bedroom, just this just this uh, piece of machinery tearing through it. You can see my bedroom wall, maybe a poster on the wall or something. Just well, some of the amazing. stories I've heard of that place. It sounded sounds like there is plenty of issues going on there mm-hmm. as far as livable, um, yeah, a livable environment. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have running water for a long time, and uh, that was weird. But it was because some dude came to a show and just ripped ripped apart our water lines in the basement, just destroyed them. And then he got chased out of the house and down the street. And he never came back, but he left his mark, you know. And we didn't have running water for a long time, like well over a year, maybe a couple years. I don't know. And we never thought in all the time, let's have a benefit show to get running water back. We just dealt with it. And then one day, ding. Maybe we should have a benefit show. And then we got a, had a benefit show, and we made more than enough money to get ourselves <laughs> new water pipes, a new water heater. All of a sudden, we were living high on the hog, man. What did uh, BFG stand for? Was it? We just took it from that children's book. But, I mean, it had a, it had a lot of uh, people made up all kinds of shit over the years of what it could stand for. I don't know. A lot of it's probably dirty. You've uh, reached the point where we're going to do band reaction, where we play a clip from a previous oh, artist. Yep, All right. play a clip from a previous artist, and then we'll get your reaction. Uh, this clip comes from somebody that you might have heard of before. Her name's Julia Blair. She was on <laughs> earlier in the year. Let's see what you think. Band reaction. Band reaction. And I'm not sure if it's just Amos or you know certain members, but do you guys have a, a fondness for vintage speakers, vintage equipment? Um, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And like, I guess from my perspective, like you know, people are always like, "Oh, you can always get ignored," you know, because I play a Wurlitzer, which is like a supremely like inconvenient instrument to tour with because it's well, just it's heavy. super heavy, right? Yeah. <laughs> just heavy it's also like old you know and so like you want to take care of it and it um comes goes out of tune a lot and tuning it is like this insane like science experiment where you're like putting solder on and shaving it off and stuff like that so um but yeah we we as a band are very committed to the pv the vintage pv amplifiers although some members of our band are fender people so that's a little bit of a you know little bit of an argument in the band <laughs> not really not not in a bad way but um it there's yeah we we all like old equipment partially just because like the fox valley is, is a wonderful um place for like used and thrifted equipment and so we just all kind of like absorb that as much as we can um the fenders are probably not as findable at cheap prices all right what's your reaction all right <laughs> Well, I guess I gotta say this for Riley. Better be a PV. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we do buy a lot of old crap because we find it for cheap. That's kind of like kind of where what what, what we've been designated with. Um, 
But I mean, a lot of that stuff is really unique. A lot of the older, cheaper equipment has a lot of character, and um, that's why over time it becomes more and more valuable because, like, you're seeing a lot of like a lot of newer equipment that emulates old gear that's digital and emulates it like pretty accurately, but it's just slightly off. You know, it's like video games or something where where it's like, yeah, it sounds like a. It sounds like a, uh, I don't know, like an LA-2A compressor or something. But if you really push it really hard, you start... You can't put your finger on why it sounds fake, but it just sounds wrong. To, to just the tiniest degree, whereas if you were using like a piece of analog gear, it has this it has this character, you know? And, and I think a lot of... Even like a lot of the older, cheaper gear that isn't just totally crappy has a really cool character, and it's something that we're kind of drawn to especially because you know we do a lot of stuff kind of on a budget but um it seems like newer equipment isn't as durable either that's true in the back of a van it's gonna crack or break and i wonder if a lot of that stuff the current stuff will be around 30 40 years from now yeah probably not you know i don't know i mean that's why fenders are so like sought after kind of you know because they were just really well built simple amps that were built like hand wired and and everything it wasn't like these you know big circuit boards that you know something goes wrong and it's it's a labyrinth of trying to figure out what's wrong with it it's almost not worth getting it repaired you know um so yeah i mean we're definitely drawn to pv uh because you could i mean at, at a certain i don't know what it's like anymore but at a certain point it was like you could find PVs for just absolutely nothing. Nobody wanted them. When Tenement started, I had to go out and buy a bass rig for Jesse. He didn't have any money, so I go out, you know, to to a, a musical round or something and pick up an old PV uh, bass four hundred head for like fifty bucks, you know, because it was cheap and it had a distortion channel on it, which I thought would sound cool uh, for our band and it really became an integral part of our sound. And, you know, we found out like, wow, this, this amp really is like, there's something special about this. There's a character to it that doesn't sound like something really high end, but it sounds so it it's strange and kind of like, it's got this tone to it. That's just really unique. And if you learn how to play to the amp, um, if you learned how to play into the amp, how to like you know play the strings of your instrument in a way that that pleases the amp, it's it can sound like it's such a brilliant sound. It's a, it's it's just I don't know. There's something special about PV, I think, for being really cheap amps. So let's talk Tenement. <laughs> <laughs> 2006 is when Tenement officially formed. Yep. So were you guys running into each other at? It shows, or how did you kind of meet each other? Uh, <clears throat> we went to high school together. I think when it started, it was Jesse and I. And um, Were they in the Waffles? They were not. I had a band called Social Classics before that, and it broke up right at that point. It broke up. So, so yeah, I had a second couple, uh, the last couple years of high school, I had a band called Social Classics. And uh, we did record an LP with Justin Perkins, Never came out. I think I sent off like 
a bunch of promo copies of the CD, and then it just never came out. And then they br- that band broke up. The day after I graduated high school, I went on tour with this band from L.A., thinking I was going to play drums for the rest of the year, basically uh, being hired to play for this band. Then the guitarist of this band fell down a flight of stairs. Is that the Vipers? They were called uh, Bang Sugar Bang. Okay, that's way off. (laughs) (laughs) And we were in Hollywood, and the the, uh, guitarist fell down a flight of stairs and broke his arm in like 13 places. Tried to play the next show in San Francisco, and it was just too excruciating. And so their record label got me an Amtrak ticket home, which was the worst few days of my life, I think, because... Right before getting on the train, I bought just this humongous bag of apple trips, and I ate, like, half the bag. For some reason, not realizing that apple chips are just dehydrated apples, so I was eating, like, you know, 20 apples and just got the worst diarrhea of my life sitting on this train and going back and forth to the, the bathroom for, like, three days all the way from Portland, Oregon to Milwaukee. And then I got, you know, and then so then I got home, and shortly after that, we started we started tenement. Jesse and I, and Jesse, you know, in high school, we played a little music together. But he kind of like he was kind of the extreme music guy, you know. When we were in high school. He had a grind band called called Satan's Army, and it was just noise and him screaming over the top of it. I think there's a video on YouTube, um, and. Um, he would roadie for a lot of shows for Social Classics, my my band, and he was just like one of our best friends, you know. And and we spent a lot of time around each other, and never really thought we'd start a band together per se. But then we start Tenement, and at the time, Tenement, you know, I had a vision for it, but it was mostly just this juvenile. We're gonna be a obnoxious, loud punk band that's influenced by like death metal too. And vesicular basalt and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, it became like such a different thing over the years. You know, it really became something that's defined me in a musical sense as a person. It's kind of strange how that this stupid juvenile thing that we started, it, it, it transformed over the course of like a decade to turn into like to mature into this. Yeah, I guess I guess mature into this thing that like now it's just kind of who I am in a way or or how people think of me. But um, so yeah, when we started in 2006, it was me and Jesse and Troy Hackbarth, uh, who lives here in town, um, and uh, our friend Max Sukding, who went to high school with us too, and uh, it kind of we went through a lot of different you know, drummer situations. Troy left the band. Became a three-piece in 2009 with Eric Meyer on drums, and that really became, like, the lineup that everybody knows. That was the the first release was 2009, I think. With Probably. With the false EP? Yeah, and, and the Ice Pick 7-inch, um, which Tyler Ditter, who's in Dusk, he recorded those for us at um, at UWO because he was going to school for recording at the time. So, yeah, I get, uh, I'm trying to remember if Jesse played bass on those or if Tyler did or who did, because 
while we were recording those, Jesse, we had the, we have this huge. We still have it. It's in the, the Crutch Memory Studio. We have this huge like refrigerator cabinet, base cabinet that's like. Uh, it's called a casino. It's made by Custom. Super old. It was like it was one of those things that I bought Jesse early on in the in the beginning of the band for like a hundred bucks. And it's like a two fifteen cab. It's super heavy. He was walking into the studio, uh, just decides to walk over a giant patch of ice, slips and falls. And so this thing has like this groove where you you put your hands in when you're pushing it, and it kind of leans on you like this, and. He slips and falls, and the amp goes that way, and his fingers, it lands on his fingers. And five out of ten of his fingers just broke backwards. So it was like, it was like a 90-degree angle. It was totally disgusting. When I was, and I, I was ahead of him. I'm inside the building loading in, and I can just hear this scream. I've never heard anyone scream like this before in my life. And I walk outside, and the first thing I see is his glove laying on the concrete, still like with the finger backwards, all just mangled. Like, his, his hands were just mangled. And he was just, like, in shock. And I did not see his finger yet, but I went up, I ran out. I think he had gotten to the car by the point that I ran outside because I think he yelled, like, call an ambulance or something <laughs> like that, which is which is kind of hilarious, but it was a really dark moment, you know. And I went into the car, and I'm like, are you okay? And he just showed me his hand in his it's it was like out of a horror movie. His fingers are all just backwards, and so we went to the hospital and they had to set them all straight again. And we just sat in the emergency room, like waiting room, waiting for him. And he came out and he just looked like he had his hands are all like bandaged up and like and and uh, he looked like something really awful had happened to him, which it did. And I remember walking out of the the. Walking out of the hospital, he like threw up in the bushes, and uh, it was just an insane. And it, it started a whole insane period of his life where his hands were kind of like bandaged up like this for a long time, and he couldn't play bass for us. So he would still come to the shows and just do in between banter. He would like <laughs> go up and talk between our songs, which was pretty hilarious. But it was, uh, yeah, you know, we can't do without Jesse. He's like, he's like the tenement guy, you know. That story just like gives me the shivers. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now current day, no pain in the fingers. Back. To I don't it. think so. He learned to play bass pretty quick, and he like was back to ripping again. That's good. A, yeah, he got really good dexterity in his hands again. <laughs> it's kind of incredible, actually. Yeah. So, Tenement's put out you know quite a few releases. Was it? What was the feeling when you you got signed to the label? Um. I mean, was it a good feeling or did you kind of have this like second guessing? Like, is this the right move for us to make? Well, the thing with Don Giovanni is like, it's, it's not like you're signing your soul away or anything. And, you know, we, we met Joe through the DIY scene, Joe Steinhardt, who runs it. And, you know, Don Giovanni started out as a little hardcore punk label out of New Jersey. And he set up a show for us in New Jersey one time at Maxwell's. And that's kind of where we met and where he saw us for the first time. <clears throat> and um, we didn't even know he really liked our band. And then, you know, a few years after Napalm Dream came out, he gets a hold of me and really wants to put out a record. And at that time, we had some interest from other labels, too, about doing another le- doing another record. So 
it was this kind of like process of like different labels wanting to put out our record and trying to choose who. But um, there was interest from a lot of bigger labels too, like Epitaph and um, there was this label from Canada. You know, I can't even remember who all these other labels were because basically we were like, we don't want to do something that compromises like, um, or that like gives us this aesthetic that makes us look like, like we didn't want to like sign to a label like Epitaph and align ourselves with bands like Falling in Reverse or whatever these kind of crappy new crab core emo metal core bands and uh which was really big in the early 2000s yeah and, and even at that time it was it was very these bands were huge and we were kind of like what epitaph why would we do an album on epitaph you know um and it was kind of an instant no for us and don giovanni seemed so much more like something we could like proudly align ourselves with and uh so yeah they put out a record and and uh i don't know it just felt like anything else i mean we've done we've worked with a lot of labels over the years and um they just have better distribution and whatever more fans i don't know (laughs) so is there a a tenement show that sticks out in your mind as being the the above all best show that you've ever played with a band? No, I mean, I don't know. Tenement, you know, shows are kind of a blur to me. I don't know. I mean, let's talk about the mile of music shows that Tenement uh, played. Cause you, you played two of the, the festivals, I think. Right. And it, it was always fun because I always heard stuff. I, I didn't see the first time you played, but I heard there was the chain was out and everybody's talking about okay. the chain. And yeah, this, we, had, we had a lot of fun with chains for a while. <laughs> The the second time you played Mile, I was there for that, and there was like the you had the tambourines going. Oh, pretty wild! Yeah, that was at that the one. end. We did a whole tour like that. Yeah, that was at the end of that tour. Have Have you been able to like attend Mile of Music in the years you weren't playing? Is it something that you like to do, or something that you wanted to kind of stay away from? Uh, I've never like actively stayed away from it, but it is like, and this has nothing. I'm not like like ripping on anyone, but it's like. It's just like a lot of the the kind of bands that play aren't really my taste, and so you know, I usually go through the lineup and and uh, just take a look and see if there's anything I'd like to see. Last year there was there was one uh, person I wanted to see, and their show got canceled because I think last year everything got rained out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I think. Um, they asked us to play Milo Music those couple times, and I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, it's in town. Let's just do it. And I don't know, you know, if – I don't know if we resonated with anyone. <laughs> I thought the, you know? the show I was at, everybody seeming, seemed to love it. I mean, yeah, it was something okay. different, and which I think is – I like that when the festival kind of gets some wild cards put in there. Yeah. Uh, this year, I think, was Radkey was, okay. yeah, yeah. was in there. But, yeah, I, the show I saw you guys play, I thought it – awesome because it's different you know it stands out Mm -hmm. um so when did dusk why was dusk formed was that a break during tenement that you decided to to form dusk i don't know if it was really a break it was when we were making predatory headlights um we were still making that record and but colin colin 
Wildy and I were living together. He does Black Thumb, and he lives in Oakland now. But and uh, so we were playing a lot of music together, and Julia was coming around, and we were making these demos, just like you know whatever just having fun kind of like bringing other friends of ours around you know riley came around a couple times and some other friends of ours we made a whole bunch of demos and just for fun and didn't really think it would become anything serious just we're kind of having fun making music with friends and um then a label from madison called well madison in minneapolis called forward records they were like we want to do a 45 with you guys and we did the two sweet 45 um and the band that did that record was basically the band that you know became dusk and aside from i don't think riley's on that record but um yeah i don't know just you know for 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 at that point for like i don't know like over a decade i had just been playing loud abrasive music and the thing is is that at the root of what i do there's always been like country music and you know like pop music like stuff like that but it's you know you can only like you can only like go into that world so much when you are kind of branded a punk band you know which Tenement kind of did a lot of weird shit for a while, and 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 we probably will again. I mean, but we could never really fully go into that world where where you're playing like this different kind of music. So, so Dusk be, kind of became that kind of thing for me personally, like where I could just like do country songs or do, you know. Did it kind of was it sort of a freeing kind of feeling to be able to to write a different genre yeah. song instead of the you know the hard hit you in the face tenement music yeah i would say i mean definitely like you also got scratched an itch there yeah doing the bass so you're sort of on an instrument that you yeah. are typically yeah um yeah i started playing bass in in dusk or when it started i was playing bass which is something i always kind of wanted to do in a band and now I play drums, which is really fun, too, because I haven't played drums in a band since forever, you know. You did drums for Car City. The drums right? on that Car City, right? I was also in a band called Technical Teeth for a while, and we did some touring, too, where I played drums. But, um, but yeah, Car you, City, yeah. Do you kind of like taking the, the back seat, you know, instead of being right up there in front? The thing, okay, the thing with, uh, the, with uh, drummers being in the back seat, which pisses me off... <laughs> They're stuck in the back of the stage, you know. You not, you hardly ever see them. They're in like the shadows, and so kind of the idea, you know, the thing that blew blew me away about the band when I was young is you'd see pictures of them playing or something, and they would all just be in a clump, like in the front of the stage. The drummer would be right up next to the guitarists, and that's kind of something we like consciously tried to do when we started Dusk. Was like everybody's there, feels like a family band, kind of, you know, like everybody's just in a circle making music or not in a circle, but like in a, a group right up at the front of the stage. The drums aren't behind everyone. No one's standing in front of the drum kit. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like I never liked the idea of the drummer in the back of the room. Just bothered me. Even with tenement, it's like you see pictures of tenement. It's like, I was always like, okay, let's put the, the amps, 
they always go beside the drums or behind the drums, and we're standing on either side of the drums. So Eric's right up in the middle. Everyone sees Eric, you know. I don't want to stand in front of Eric. Eric is a pivotal part of this band. He's super important. He kicks ass. He's like he's like an ogre on the drums, you know. He's like so powerful. And I want people to see that, you know, as much as they see Jesse and I. I think it's really important to see Eric just like kicking ass. Yeah. I suppose like some people, it's just like what they think, how how they think it's supposed to be set up. Like, well, this is how you set it up. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Car City, they put out a self-titled album, maybe four years ago, five years yeah. ago, four years ago, five years ago. Right. Yeah. Walt was Walt was kind of pissed off at me that he didn't he wasn't here with me today. <laughs> so I'd let everyone know. I hope he's listening right now. Um, I don't think Walt gets up before noon, does he? <laughs> So Car City was a project where Jason Lumpke wrote most of the songs? Um, or was it a collaboration? Yeah, he wrote all the songs. It was uh it is Jason's project for sure. Uh we had actually Walt and I actually got a, together with Jason one day a few years ago, uh just to hang out and kind of catch up because I hadn't seen him in a long time. I'd my high school band played with his old band, 88 Miles Per Hour, a lot. And uh, <clears throat> Jason is a great songwriter. He's a great singer. He wanted to record some of his the music he's been writing since way back when. And so he came to the studio and kind of we hung out and whatever. I was like, yeah, I'll record, I'll re- I'll record you. And then it kind of just became a thing where he didn't know what to do with it as far as like what to call it or what the, you know, what it was. And I was like, I don't know you mind if you know i we kind of produce it and make it into more of like a thing that looks like a band rather than just jason's songs you know like so we called it a name and gave it an aesthetic and it is what it is you know i don't um never really had plans to play shows or anything but we did we have record like partially recorded basically a whole new album it's just we never really get together because, you know, individually we have so many things going on. So it just comes at, you know, when it's convenient for us. Have Did Car City ever play any shows? No, no. Not even a, a release show? No, no. <laughs> I know I, I've seen Walt and Jason play a couple of those songs when oh, they yeah. all plays together. But would a, a show be anything that Car City would consider doing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I don't want to half-ass it, and, uh, you know, if we did a show, it would have to be, you know, we'd have to, like, make sure we were doing it right, do something special with it. Uh, I don't really want to be just a bunch of dudes getting together to play those songs, and, I mean, if they want to do that without me, that's fine, I guess, but personally, I'd, you know, I would like to make it special, and to me, it, I would have to be able to really focus a lot of energy on it, which... A lot of the time, it's very hard for me to focus energy on, you know, things that are outside the peripheral of what I'm doing at the time. So, let's uh, take a moment to talk about Justin Perkins. You worked with him on on uh, multiple projects early on. I know you're a fan of Yesterday's Kids and the Obsoletes and and all those. Um, did working with Justin kind of kind of form how you were going? going to work in the future as far as 
getting your studio put together and has Justin been there to help with some of the questions he might have? Yeah. I mean, uh, I learned so much just from being around him when I was younger and him recording my bands and whatever, and just watching him do his thing, critically listening to his recordings, you know, he was kind of like, you know, when I was young, that was like, like, yes, you know, yesterday's kids and the absolutes were like the heroes around here. I feel like, um, and they wrote such great songs, man. Like, it, like not even just regionally, like they wrote songs better than anyone anywhere to me. It's like, I still listen to those records and I am just like floored by the songwriting and, uh, <clears throat> And the playing, everything just lines up. It's great. And when I listen to those recordings, they're just like so immaculate to me. They're not like they're they're their own thing. I don't like I as someone who like really critically listens to music because I'm always thinking about recording now. Nothing really sounds like them. There's stuff that sounds way like crazier and more produced and just huge and brilliant or whatever but those recordings there's just something special about them they hit a sweet spot it's kind of like it's really i feel like those recordings that justin did in those periods where he was making that band really focus in the mid-range which is really difficult to do there's like a really controlled mid-range to it and which is you know something i've read a lot about motown is how they focused a lot on the mid range of a recording because your mind puts together the rest. It'll your mind will put together the the high frequency information and the low frequency information. But like that mid range, if you get it right, it just like sounds so sweet and perfect. And to me that's what Justin's recordings always sounded like and they're a very special thing. I think about the way he works whenever I'm working. He definitely like was hands down my favorite like engineer in the area but now he's just focusing on mastering at the mystery room mastering down in madison how do you feel about the sound wars the sound wars oh okay with the people trying to crank the volume up on everything to get the the loudest airplay yeah you know i think uh it's it's interesting i when i listen to uh you know who Wolfpack is? They're like this modern, like, funk kind of, like, th- thing. Like, all their recordings are super fucking loud, and they sound really cool, but, like, you listen to a whole album of theirs, and you are just like, I need to stop listening to music for the day. <laughs> because it's, like, it's so taxing on your ears. And it's cool. And, like, listening to their singles, it's so, they're so exciting. You know, like, you know, like, they're, it's just, like, I can see how, like, just having a super loud master is just, like, really appealing because when you listen in context of a single or a, or a song here and there, it sounds great. It sounds really exciting and, and cool. But when you're listening to a whole album that's just, like, like crushed and super loud, it, t- it takes a toll on your ears. And um, that's something I kind of like about Justin is he's always you know, kind of encouraged us to be more delicate with our masters and, and like, think twice about um, just 
pushing them. Which, you know, we haven't always listened to them. Uh, most Tenement records are, like, I'm always like, push it, push it, push it more, push it more. And he's like, you sure? I, you know, like, I think it's sounding pretty good. No, push it more. I want it to sound distorted. I want it to sound crazy. I want it to sound like all, like, the Japanese hardcore bands, <laughs> the records that I love, you know, like, that are just destroyed, you know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there is definitely, like, I think... For certain kinds of music, like having a super, you know, destroyed, loud, limited master is, like, super crucial and cool. And for others, it's not. I think for Dusk, it's like we always, like, we're always very careful not to suck the dynamics out of it. It can, like, make a, it can make a, a kick drum that sounds really 3D and, like, warm and round sound flat and, like, papery, you know. So... That's something we're always careful about. Justin Perkins uh, mastered this. Oh, yeah. Acid Rain album. Can you tell me what? That's another one I told him. I want an aggressive master. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, or like, this is a really cool sounding recording. I don't want to like mess it up, you know, like be careful, you know. (laughs) Well, you released that digitally, like kind of a month or two into the, the pandemic, but you wrote and recorded it all within the span of was it like a month? A month, yeah. You played everything on there, right? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's kind of like almost like demos, you know, where it was like we were stuck in our house because everyone was freaked out and no one wanted to go outside, <clears throat> and uh, I didn't know what else to do really. So I was like, well, I might as well do something constructive with my time and sit down and just start writing, writing and recording songs on this old this old uh, Roland VS-880. It's this recorder I've had since like 2006 or something. I've, all, I've made all my demos on it. Made some studio uh, recordings on it. There's a couple songs on Napalm Dream that were recorded on there and a couple songs on uh, Predatory Headlights. Um, and I just, I was like, I want to make a whole album on this. Like, actually release it, you know. Thought it'd be fun because I've never just, like, set out to release an album that I record on that thing. And, uh, I was like, I'll do this this month. I'm going to do the whole album this month. Record it. Write it, record it, mix it. Master it. And uh, release it. So I can get some scratch, you know? So I can make rent next month because no one was working at the time. And uh, that's what I did. And you released it digitally. And then the vinyl recently came out, which it has two bonus songs. Yep. So if you purchased it digitally... You'll want to get this to get the two extra songs, and those were songs that you had previously sent out for like benefit. Right around the time, yeah, there were some labels that were trying to like help musicians and stuff like that, and they they uh, they asked for those songs. One of them was for a, a COVID nineteen comp, um, a benefit comp, and the other one was just for like a collection tape. I think that never came out. So, um, yeah. So I was like, I'll put them on the vinyl and never release them digitally. And, then, you know, people can people can buy that for 100 bucks on Discogs in a couple of years <laughs> to get those songs. You spend a lot of time on Discogs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that can suck you in. And yeah. I, I was talking to Brett Newski during Milo Music, and, and he brought up the point, if you want to be friends with a musician, um, don't talk about music. And he's like, but there are some exceptions or some... Some people that know like want to talk discographies and stuff. Are you one of those people that that like to talk about you know 
the, this pressing or this album coming out this time? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't like. I do not like doing. I do not like. I don't really like hanging out with record nerds. I don't like what they nerd out about. It doesn't make it does not excite me. I don't like I don't care about specific pressings. I don't care about vinyl color variations. I don't care about any of that crap. I I care about the music that is on the record and I care about the artwork and that is the stuff that excites me and I find that most record nerds they want to talk about stupid mundane shit that like I don't care about but I am on Discogs a lot because there, you know, you can find obscure stuff that you can't find anywhere else on there. And I've learned a lot on Discogs, just like digging through discographies. I've learned a lot about music I've never heard of. So, do you find that it's getting kind of ridiculous with how the resurgence with vinyl? People are repackaging things twenty different ways, like you said, with the different color variations and you know, just to try to sell the same album five times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is pretty silly. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. It's just if you're a you big know, Nirvana fan, you could have like 25 different versions yeah, of or Billy Nevermind. Joel. Like you'd have like yeah, you could have 50 different versions of The Stranger, or Glass Houses, or something. You know, like who needs that? You could go to the, you know, the thrift store today, and you could find you know, you could find copies of that record that are probably in amazing shape. <laughs> but instead, they're repackaging and selling it for 50 bucks to some schmuck. You know. How did you feel about the exclusive company closing? Um, I, you know, I went there a lot as a kid. It, it's it it uh it closed around a time that I haven't really been going to record stores a lot, so I was kind of like, oh man, that's that is really sad because it was like a very important institution, like, and it was like a it was a part of you know my childhood and a part of my adolescence and you know a part of most of my life but <clears throat> yeah i don't know it i don't know i don't <laughs> you know like i don't know it is it's like a sad thing but like yeah all right well let's circle back to uh crutch of memory because we're winding down here need to get mm-hmm. a couple more things and so crutch of memory i think is really cool how it's you guys have a community of musicians there and, and you all pitch in on, on different projects and with uh tim buchanan you guys were the dusk was the backing band for him are there any more projects like that coming out where you guys back up a different musician that's the plan um i don't know we don't have anything in the works right now just because we're trying to get a few other things under control but like that's the plan to keep doing stuff like that. We do have a couple half finished albums where we kind of did that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can keep doing that sort of thing. What do you think of the Appleton music scene today compared to how it was in 2006? Yeah. You know, uh, this is something I talk about with people sometimes where it's like 2006, uh, I was involved with a, you know, the punk underground punk scene, um, and from 2006 to like 2011, it was like really thriving. At least the, the little thing that I was involved in, and um, 
there would be hun- like hundreds of people at some of these shows at a house or whatever. But the thing is, it's like you don't know about that stuff unless unless uh, you know about it. It's not something that's out in the open. It's not like Milo Music or whatever. So what I want to know is where you know what where are the twenty year old kids doing this right now in Appleton? Because I want to go there and I want to see it. I don't you know like. I can't judge what's happening in Appleton right now because I don't necessarily know, but I want to find out. I want to know what they're, you know, what is the kind of new, like, crazy music happening in Appleton. Because I don't really leave the house that much, honestly. So I don't, I have no clue. But uh, to me, I feel like, you know, while Mala music is cool, I wouldn't call that Appleton's music scene, it's its own thing. And I feel like there is an Appleton music scene, but people like us don't really know about it right now, because uh, it's it's a very like uh, you know it's an urgent thing that's happening with younger people than us right now. But I would love to find out. Last question for Amos: <laughs> uh, People want to find Acid Rain and purchase a copy on vinyl. Where where should they go? Well, you can go to our website, www.crutchermemory.com. You can uh, find me on the internet and uh, meet me in front of my house. That's, uh, yeah, that's the, what you could do. The exchange can take place yeah. in front of the house. Right in front of the house. <laughs> <laughs>